Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasion. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. Hello. Verily, I say unto thee, hello, my dovest. <laughs> yawn. It's so close. Yawn, dove, upon the morning breaks, and and she sees a worm, and that she takes. <laughs> You know, in a way, that's yeah. that's more perfect for Renaissance Fair than anything you could have accurately said. Uh, I don't know what you mean. I <laughs> nailed it. I was going with early bird gets the worm kind of right. did, but said in a like Shakespeare kind of way. You Ish. get it. You know how he would do it. Like, yeah, just like look that. at the bird <laughs> out there on the morn grabbing the worms before others are born. Ooh, something like that. Love he loved a rhyming couplet. Can I give you the other joke I was going to do? <laughs> okay, fine. Ren Fair, I prefer Stimpy Fair because it's Ren Stimpy. You didn't oh, watch? No, you didn't watch I didn't. TV when you were a kid, no. There are people out there who went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, we're talking about Renaissance fairs now. This is a big time, right? Because we say Renaissance fair, right? But there's a lot of different. I've heard it called a lot of different things. Renaissance Pleasure Festival. fair. I've heard it yes, called. Yes, I hate that one. Oh, why? Because that does not at all sound like... It's about whatever your pleasure be. Hey, babe. The kind but you of, hear it, right? Uh, sure, but it's it's the way that you think about... So, Renaissance is a particular period in history, especially the that European Renaissance. It doesn't actually fit with what most people think of when they think of Renaissance exactly. festivals, right? Yeah. Exactly, right? Because it's more of like a medieval fair. Well... It it is fantasy fair. Fantasy fair is what it is because there's usually there is a lot of medieval kind of, um, so the like the idea of like castles and knights and stuff, right? Yeah. That's medieval. But there's also usually like at the one here in Ohio, there's a queen. They usually like center it around like Queen Elizabeth the yeah. first. But then there's also like fairies and right elves, dragons, and, and stuff. Vikings, and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff, right? So I. I actually think that Pleasure Fair fits better. Yeah, I just wish it wasn't that. Okay. Right? Um, but oh, I, and pirates. Don't forget pirates yeah, I would say, and vampires are often sure. incorporated, I would too. say in, like, Fantasy Fair, because it's, well, it's not fantasy, though. It's a lot of historical stuff. Okay, Pleasure Fair, we'll go with it. But we're not going to call it that for that. We're going to call it Renaissance Festival. Right. Um, I would also extend it even further than that, because, like, here in uh, Cincinnati— I, Honestly, sadly, don't think they still do it, or if they do, they, I, it's changed. But there was a like um, old West Fest, mm-hmm. right? That I would incorporate in that same thing, right? Because it was an immersive event, uh, dress up in costume, historical thing, ish. Yeah, right. So it wasn't medieval, right? It wasn't knights and and stuff. It was cowboys, but but it's highly romanticized. It's the same idea, yeah. right? Of like you come, oh, we've got old timey food, old timey drinks, old timey games, old timey experiences, dress people, up in costume, people doing bull whips and sharpshooting, sure. and instead of swords, it's you know quick draws and stuff. But like instead of jousting, it's rodeo. But it's basically the same concept. So I would say like this kind of encompasses this idea of. We're traveling to a different period of time where there's a lot of people in costumes. We have people in character. There's vendors. There's food. There's drink. There's, there's entertainment. There's entertainment of some kind. Um, it's not just like a convention, right, where you would go and maybe cosplay and there's tables and stuff. This is supposed to be an immersive thing. Like you're there in the festival, in the village. And a lot of places these days have like actual dedicated like built 
storefronts yeah. and things like that. They're not open year round, so they're not like they're not like um, you know like air conditioned or heated or whatever. But they're like you know vendor stalls, and some of them even have like wooden floors that they've built up and yeah. things like that. Um, in in case in case there are people out there, our listeners who don't know, we've we've talked about these these things, uh, but. I don't know anyone who doesn't like it, except if you've worked at one. And then that's true like, of a lot of things, though, I don't really isn't like it? it? That's true of of many things, right? Yeah. Like, oh, that's really fun for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? I bet there's a lot of theme park workers listening to this. Yeah, going, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, you know, there. There's a certain kind of like, it's 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 nerdy fun for everyone, right? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I I can't. Say, I've never worked at a Renaissance festival or any kind of thing like that. But I have done like conventions mm-hmm. quite a bit, and I've done events quite a bit. And yeah, it's a different experience. Now that said, I also know plenty of people who love working them for the uh kind of back end side of it, where it's just like I love getting to see my friends that I work it with. It's so fun. You know, the stories that come out of it is wild, mm. and the experience of doing it is fun. Right, but that's also true of a lot of jobs where it's just like, oh yeah, when I'm on the floor helping customers or whatever, sure, that's the work, and then I'm back in the warehouse goofing off with the other people, and yeah. you know, weird things happen, and I've got all these wild stories. That's the fun. So we're not saying working at Renaissance Fair is like toil and trouble and terrible. No, there but... are plenty of people who love it. It's just always there's two sides of any kind of like experience when it comes to stuff like this. There's the consumer side and the producer side, mm-hmm. and they're just often different kind of enjoyments. Um, so if you if you go to a Renaissance fair, you are encouraged to kind of dress up to whatever it is that you like. Uh, there's pirates and fairies and wizards and there's Vikings and um, uh, squires and Shakespearean actor looking. And sure. I mean, really uh, knights and, and ladies in waiting and princesses and whatever it is, right? But if you uh, the the Ren Faire subculture word for these costumed guests are patrons. Oh, I like which that. is the portmanteau of player and patron. You no, know I love a portmanteau. I know you I do. do it. Uh, and these are encouraged, right? Because it's about like getting into the immersive act, playing in the space, right? Um, but. There is a fine line, oh, yeah. right? You, uh, it's important that you have a really great time and you play in the space, but don't like pretend that you work there. <laughs> well, and I would also say, don't not just don't pretend that you work there, but never lose sight of the fact that the other person does work there, right? Right. So, like, oh, all fun and games to be like, oh, I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> Another thing to like actually try to fight them, right? Right. Uh, well. Most Renaissance fairs make you like tie up your weapons. Yes, but not God's weapons. Oh, these two fists, fisticuffs. I'm just saying, like that kind of thing. The same as like joke flirting with people. That usually happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're talking about like, oh, you're at the tavern, and there's you see a lot of videos of of like, uh, you know, pouring drinks down people's throats and stuff on on TikTok, and it's flirting, right? But it's play pretend, right? Right. The fighting is play pretend. The kind of like back and forth. I'm a jester giving you a hard time, right? It's play pretend. It like never let yourself uh immerse, emerge, um submerge. Submerge. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Never let yourself become so immersed uh, <laughs> that you lose sight of the fact that 
the the key word there is pretend. Right. Okay. And these people are usually like full time for this. They go around the country or this is like their big season. Is, right. And so they're usually pretty good at figuring out who is game to play these games. Yeah. Um, and who is more just like there to watch. And let me just jump back. We're talking about costumes. We're gonna, oh, okay. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to when we get to like the do's and don'ts. No matter what your costume is, wear shoes you can walk around in mm, mud. Yeah. In because it's an outdoor thing. It's an outdoor thing and it doesn't take much. And I I have this very clear memory of when we went to the Renaissance Festival when we were living in Los Angeles. Mm. And there was a person there who had like a very beautiful, like fairy costume, shimmery kind of outfit. And they were wearing maybe like four or five inch heels. Oh. And it had like rained the day before and they just looked miserable. Yeah. Right? Like they could not walk without like wobbling their ankles and getting stuck in everything. And like there was straw laid down and everything, but it was not enough. And I just look at that and, like, you look great. If you were wearing flats, you would be having such a better time right now. Yeah. Like boots are almost always the way to go. You Agreed. know what I mean? Okay. So let's go back to way the- back. To the <laughs> to the American nineteen forties. I guess it makes sense. That it's not further back than that. No, it's it'd not be really. weird if they started having Renaissance fairs in like fifteen twenty. Well, okay, they yes. had fairs. They had fairs. <laughs> they had fairs. They just called them fairs. And they didn't call it now fairs. <laughs> <laughs> it has kind of always been trendy to look back, right? We've talked sure. about the Victorians and they were kind of obsessed with like the Greek and Roman kind of architecture and artwork and history and stuff. Um, but post-World War II America, there was a sudden resurgence in the interest of medieval and Renaissance culture. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because like when you think about this is once again, I think we talked about this on last week's episode too. But when people talk about uh how often do you think about the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. right? I would put the pillars of like uh nineteen forties to twenty twenty masculinity that is taught is knights, cowboys, and like Romans, right? Sure. Those three are the three that are most often be like, ah, oh, what about chivalry? What about the code of the West? Ah, be as tough as a Spartan, right? These three things, you know, are like uh, like the things that are most uh, referenced. And I think especially when you talk about, oh, they started getting really into like the medieval period, man, so much of that has to be tied to movies and you start to see like King Arthur popping mm-hmm. up and Romans popping up and cowboys popping up, right? I mean, if you just go through the career of like Sir Lawrence Olivier, like right? you can just like see them all well, in this there, is right? The thing, even Robin Hood, right? Yeah. Robin Hood wasn't like medieval, but wasn't it? Well, eh. yeah, a little bit. King John. Not the same as like King Arthur, though. It was a, yeah, right, yes. Different, Not- it's hundreds of years difference, but yes. this idea of like swords and chivalry and knights and swashbuckling up and down a staircase, right? Pirates are in there as well. Mm-hmm. It's these things that became just big ticket sellers in movies. Absolutely. Right? Where it's just like, yeah, there's a reason that these are the things we think of is because, like, these were the things that they made movies about. And if we're talking 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, we're talking radio plays, movies, TV shows. Absolutely. Um, so in the 50s, there's a very strong early music revival that was uh, that created the folk musician and traditionalist John Langstaff. 
1957, Langstaff held, quote, a Christmas mosque of traditional revels. Ooh, so this was like the Harlequin, we're wearing masks and <laughs> we're reveling about, oh, I enjoy the wassail. The medieval folk music. Oh, okay. Um, so what what does this actually mean? It was like a Renaissance fair and a Christmas pageant kind of had a baby, right? There was performances, uh, dancing, recitals, theatrics, loosely organized around the central theme of Christmas yeah. at this point. Um, people would dress in like flower crowns and traditional tunics and, you know, think of it as like... Yeah, cholera. No. Oh, okay. No, not not that. They didn't go that um, deep in the immersion. But it was it was very successful in New York. Uh, and the following year, Langstaff took it to Washington D.C. Um, and you know he had a hit. It was a televised event uh, in 1966 on the Hallmark Hall of Fame, uh, and uh, Dustin Hoffman played the part of the dragon slain by St. George. I've heard of him, yeah. Uh, in 1971, Langstaff established a permanent Christmas Revels in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and continued to lead or foster similar medieval-inspired revels until uh, he passed in 2005. I like how you threw in inspired. I think that's a like yeah. medieval-inspired. Inspired. Um, Revels, Inc. continues to operate today with the mission of bringing cultural songs, celebrations, and seasonal traditions to participating audiences all over. Um, And although this was the earlier incarnation, what we really know today as a Renaissance fair was, uh, was the brainchild of Phyllis Patterson. Of course. I knew it was her. <laughs> if you had asked me, you were like, who do you think did it? I'd be like, Phyllis. Phyllis did that one, right? I knew it. A jokes on fan. jokes on jokes. I have no idea who you that have is. no idea who that is. She was a history teacher who taught high school in California. She was described as an extrovert. Um, she wrote... It would be wild oh. if you were like, oh yeah, the medieval fair was created by a chemistry teacher who didn't really like a lot of attention. <laughs> She wrote and directed one of the very first broadcast television programs, a children's show called Phil's Playhouse, um, and was a DJ on the all-girl radio station WHER. Hey, she sounds awesome. She uh, got married to an artist named Ron Patterson in 1956, and they moved to L.A. together. In the 60s, her and her husband created, quote, Into the Woods, which, no, not that. Not that. I was going to say, they didn't write that. Which was a backyard drama and arts program at their Laurel Canyon home. Oh, okay. Um, How they afford to live in Laurel Canyon? Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess it was the 60s. Maybe it wasn't fully developed. But now Laurel Canyon's like the hills. Like, it's it ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. Teresa and I used to play this game where we would uh, get stuck because we lived in the Valley for two years. And uh, she worked in West Hollywood. Yeah, and I would yeah. drive her there because we only had one car, and we, we were tons of driving. So, like, every time we saw a for sale sign, I would look it up and be like, okay. How, how much is it? This is a one-bedroom, one-bathroom. <laughs> huh? How much do you think? And it was always, like, three times as much as you would guess. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, what they would do is they had, you know, like, nine- and ten-year-olds uh, that they would 
kind of like lead in creative writing exercises and then, you know, they would mount these plays or or scenes that the kids wrote. They would kind of like do creation myths or or learn theatrical improv or write their own plays, right? And she took these kids to a um, children's theater competition in L.A. And all the students were so delighted that they begged her to keep going. Oh. Um, And then they had to expand the program. They went to a park and they enlisted a local radio station to sponsor the very first Renaissance Fair in America on May 11th and 12th in 1963. Okay. This was where the term pleasure fair was coined. Um, And, quote, the whole idea is to get people to play the living history game, she told a Times reporter in 1987. Quote, our motto is to tickle into learning with a laugh. That's nice. That's really sweet, isn't it? I like Phyllis. The one thing that I think sets this apart from our Renaissance fairs today is that Historical accuracy was very important to Phyllis. Yeah. Um, She was kind of a purist about it. She banned the sale of plastic goods and insisted that theatrical acts be as historically accurate as necessary, which makes sense. She's a history teacher, right? This is part of a teaching kind of like atmosphere. Well, and that makes sense with the, the, you know, laughing, the learning kind of deal, because it Mm -hmm. was like, this is an excuse to teach people and not kind of the other way around, which is how I think about it now, which is like, yeah, we're saying it's historical, but it's an excuse to have fun. Right. Um, Over the course of of their time together, she and her husband acquired 3,000 volumes of Elizabethan history. Wow. That is a lot. And they were ardent supporters and researchers of historical accuracy for the environment and the level of merriment. Um, She said... You have to remember that in the 16th or 17th century, life expectancy was only about 45 years. And for most of it, it was an accomplishment just to survive the winter. People were not just celebrating the changing of the season. They were celebrating the regeneration of life. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of celebrating, we're going to take a break because we have a special message for our listener. Nice. Hi, Chan. Are you listening? Because this is a message to you. A message to Chan from Mare. Hi, cutie. I have I don't like how I said that at all. Sorry, Chan. Hey, Chan. Sorry for how I said that. Let's try again. Hi, cutie. <laughs> That's better. Hi, cutie. <laughs> you. No. Mare says, hi, cutie. A very happy four years of loving, goofing, and crosswording to you. After four wonderful years, I figured it was about time to show my love via a McElroy Jumbotron. Thank you for being the best all the time and for forever encouraging me to be my best. This message might be a little bit late, but I still love you a lot. Yours always, Mayor. Now, this is on October 6th, which is when this is going to go out, which is also mine and Teresa's anniversary. So when you're listening to this, it is our 10-year wedding anniversary. And we remembered it this year. Yeah. We did not forget it for the third year in a row. Plans, we're doing stuff. Deal with it. So, Chan and Mayor, congratulations. You guys should do stuff, too. You should do stuff, too. Uh, we're probably going to just sleep. That's like other people are watching our kids so that we can sleep in. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Anyways, congratulations. Happy four years. Back to the show. 
The human mind can be tricky. Your mental health can be complex. Your emotional life can be complicated. So it helps to talk about it. I'm John Moe. Join me each week on my show, Depression Mode with John Moe. It's in-depth conversations about mental health with writers, musicians, comedians, doctors, and experts. Folks like Noah Khan, Sashir Zameda, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. We talk about depression, anxiety, trauma, imposter syndrome, and perfectionism. We have the kind of conversations that a lot of folks are hesitant to have themselves. Listen, and you won't feel as alone, and you'll have some laughs, too. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is KT Wigman, Operations Specialist. I'm here with Christian Duenas, Producer, and we're both worker owners here at Maximum Fun. October is National Co-op Month, so we're celebrating our brand new co-op and some others with an event called Co-Optober. We've got special events all month long, starting with a live Q&A on YouTube where MaxFun worker owners will answer your questions on Friday, October 6th, and much more to come. We also want to tell you about some incredible limited edition merch, exclusively available to MaxFun members throughout the month of October. If you're already a member of MaxFun, you've shown that you care about our shows and what we do. If you also want to help launch us into this new cooperative era and show off your support, go ahead and get yourself a hat, a pin, a shirt. We worked with some of our favorite artists to make them really special. For details on merch, all of our upcoming events like Meetup Day and more, visit MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Happy Co-Optober. Okay, where were we? So, Phyllis, she's taken over. Phyllis and she Ron. She bought all the books? Bought all the books there are. Um, and thanks to them, fair-like events began popping up all over. Um, Neil Steinberg wrote in 2007 in the Chicago Sun-Times, If theme parks with their pasteboard main streets reek of bland, saved, homogenized white bread America, the Renaissance Fair is at the other end of the social spectrum, a whiff of the occult, a flash of danger, and a hint of the erotic. Here, they let you throw uh, axes. Here, there are more beer and bosoms than you'll find in all of Disney World. Oh, boy. That's true. Yeah, it's true. This is also, so I I know, so I have uh, a bit of a fascination with uh, defunct theme parks mm-hmm. and two podcasts or uh, one's a YouTube channel, defunct land. And the other one's called uh, abandoned carousel, which I don't think is still going, but uh, rightfully so. <laughs> but um, this was basically a time period, right? Where Disneyland and shortly thereafter Disney world, which I think Disney world was more in the eighties, but Disneyland, right. was in California and air travel was still uh, prohibitively expensive. But cars were becoming more and more common for everyone to have. Right. So what you ended up getting was all of these, there's like a boom in the 60s and 70s of like a local theme park. Right. And so what you ended up with was a lot of this theming, right, that was like, all right, there's a castle in Disneyland so ours is also like, oh, there's dragons and magic and wizards. And so you see a lot of that, right? Which I can see then tying into, we can't justify building a theme park here, right? Because it's cold, you know, uh, it's cold basically September through March. But we could do a fair 
here every summer, right? And make money off of that and have a destination that you could go to and have that like magic and knights and kingdoms and stuff and not have to like drive all the way or fly all the way to California. So I think like, I'm guessing at this, but it really makes sense that like, tie this boom together. It all kind of fits. Yeah, right? Doesn't it all make sense? Of like, yeah, we could drive an hour to go to this Renaissance Festival and give you this like magical summer experience, child, and not have to like drive all the way or fly all the way to Disneyland. But would you believe that there are people who did not like this? Did not like this idea? You said the word erotic and bosoms in there. (laughs) So yes, I can 100% believe that in America there were people who did not like that. There were lingering echoes of McCarthyism that threatened to bring an end to Patterson's tradition. Um, The counterculture in the time uh, was... I bet hippies loved Renaissance festivals. Oh, yeah, they I bet they loved that. A maypole, you say? Let me at her. (laughs) Indeed. Maypoles and tankards of ale and, you know, general vaguely pagan tomfoolery. All right. Uh, Switch that around there, uh, 1960s. You're stealing a lot of your Christian stuff from these pagans. You're just saying (laughs) they were here first. They were here first. They were everywhere first. At one point, the Pattersons attempted to find a larger venue in more conservative areas outside of the bohemian paradise of Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Um, And in 1967, the Ventura County Sheriff's Office suddenly required the crafters Anyone selling wares to be fingerprinted. Okay. Permits would be denied for some pretenser or another, um, but the message was simple. Keep your history-laden hippie hogwash out of here. Boo. Uh, but Phyllis always found a way around the obstructions. One of the best I examples. I like Phyllis more and more. I like how this is becoming, yes, this is about Renaissance Fair, but this is also about Phyllis Patterson and how cool she is. Uh, in 1966, the fair was denied a per- permit for whatever reason, uh, she asked the American Film Institute to produce a documentary of the event so they could open the gates with a film permit. Take that, the man. Yep, and they claimed that all of the guests were extras in their film. I love Phyllis so much. Um, so I think that, let, let's say that she didn't do all of this on her own, right? She had lots of friends and neighbors sure. and, and things like that to help. Um, they were also... Uh, performers and history buffs and people like that, right? So um, she didn't do it all alone. But a lot of these people were blacklisted at the time mm. um, for doing what they do. Um, by and, and McCarthyism. And McCarthyism, yeah. right? Um, so they, you know, developed a very strong kind of following of all these people who felt like they didn't, they weren't allowed to do the thing that they love to do anywhere else. And I also can't stress enough, younger listeners, I'm almost 40 years old, and in my four decades, right, fantasy, sci-fi, just like general nerd culture has been able to come so much more into the light, as one might say, Mm -hmm. than when I was little, right? Like, I remember going to conventions and it being, like, small, you know, like, there was no huge vendor hall, at least in like, you know, 89 or whatever, 90, to find a huge convention you might find in big places. But the idea of like now, you know, going to like Columbus, Ohio, and there being a huge convention that has like, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people, and it blows my mind, right? So this idea of like, 
at the time, there being something like a Renaissance festival where it was like, hey, come nerd out, fantasy out, get to like dress up in your costume was such a rare thing, especially when you're talking about 60s and 70s. Yeah. Like to do this and, you know, then we get into like the 80s satanic panic and all this stuff, right? This idea of being able to just like kind of nerd out and enjoy fantasy and stuff was not at all the norm. Just uh, reminding just you how important this you. stuff is. Um, so Phyllis developed a two-prong attack, right? Not only Punching and kicking. No. Oh. Not only like kind of finding loopholes, but also she was a teacher, right? So she was able to, um, you know, put on a, her, a conservative pantsuit or dress and, you know, pull her hair back in a tight bun or whatever. Oh, I'm a teacher now. <laughs> Hello. And try and convince these conservative county officials to approve the educational value of the Boom. fair, right? Because she was also all about historical accuracy and teaching and things like that. And her son, uh, Kevin, said that she came from Tennessee and she was a school teacher. So she went into meetings dressed like a teacher with her hair up and drop earrings, and she treated them like her students until they understood what she was teaching them. She wore them down and probably sent them home with a Shakespeare assignment. <sighs> Phyllis rules. Um, and she won out in the end and was able to uh, get the fair established at Paramount Ranch in Santa Monica Mountains, where it stayed for 22 years. Wow. Um, they also set up a Northern California fair in Marin County and the Great Dickens Christmas Fair in San Francisco. Um, she passed in 2014, but according to her obituary in the LA Times, the family still runs the Dickens event. She is still known as the, quote, mother of generations of fair folk who now make a living on the festival circuit. So, Let's hear you know, it for Phyllis. Yeah, next time next time you step through those magical gates. Raise a flag into Phyllis. Now are let's you, talk about the fair. Yeah. Are you ready for some etiquette? I love some etiquette. Yes, please. Always, always look into the rules of your specific event. Yes. Um, they may have clothing restrictions. They may have weapon restrictions. They may have food I'm gonna, restrictions. I'm going to almost guarantee they have weapon restrictions. Mm -hmm. yeah. Most most festivals require, like I said, your weapons to be quote, peace-tied. Um, like so zip -tied. like zip-tied or whatever into so their sheath. Yeah. Right. Same with a lot of conventions, by the mm -hmm. way, just side note, and a lot of like firearms restrictions. So exactly. in case that exactly. wasn't obvious. Um, do make sure to stay hydrated. These fairs are outdoor events, um, which could be very sunny. If you're in Ohio, it's sunny at the beginning and then it's cold at the end. <laughs> and let me, let me warn you about a thing I call fair drunk, right? Ooh. Fair drunk is where it's just like, oh, a giant flag and I can get a huge, you know, horn of ale. Great. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to spend $150 on this big old flagon. You got to be careful with your yeah. money because that fair you have like two drinks and you're like, yes, I'm going to buy all the armor. Don't. Friend, friend, don't. Give a trusted friend yeah. your your wallet or what have you. And this is an occasion that you do want to bring cash. Yes. Because they are often um, out in, you know, the, the fields. They are not maybe receiving Wi-Fi or whatever. We can't do square if we can't connect to the Internet. Right. Um, and also, many performers work for tips yes. instead of getting, like, paid by anybody. Um, and then, speaking of performers, it's great to bring your family, but not 
every event at the Friends Fair is going to be family friendly, especially the performances. There might be adult language. There might be adult themes. Um, and so most places have posted show ratings or specific kind of like this is for the family show where um, you can, you know, be comfortable bringing the young kids to. And if you're worried about it, you it's usually on the festival's website. What would be appropriate for families? Uh, I just want to say, um, and we've said this rule a couple times for a couple different events, but it's always good to reiterate, cosplay is not consent, mm-hmm. right? And so, one, ask before you touch anyone ever. Um, and ask before you take photos. Ask before whatever, right? Ask. But also, I would say, one of the things... Um, we touched on it earlier, talking about like playing pretend, right? Right. I don't care what the behavior of the actual medieval time would have been. We are in 2023 in real life. Yes. So there is no excuse for using offensive language that you try to justify by saying, well, this is what they would have said back then. And there's no excuse for offensive behavior that you would justify by saying, yeah, but back then they would have just grabbed people. Don't do it because we're not back then. It's 2023 and you should know better. So don't use Renfairs as an excuse to be offensive and behave badly and by saying like, well, it's what they want to do. No, nope, 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 don't do it. Or I'll find you. Oh, thank you. We're going to tell your mom. Um, yeah. Okay, next, do have a plan. These are usually large, sprawling events yeah. with a lot of walking. If you have someone in your, in your group that really needs to see the joust, okay, make sure you hit that first yeah. so that everybody else has time to wander, ample time to wander. These places are huge usually. Especially since we, as you said, with like uh, uh, it being out and in the thing, it's not always good cell service. Right. Right. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people with phones. And so the idea of like, well, we'll just text and find you mm-hmm. may not always work. So setting a meeting spot, all right, okay, if we get separated, we'll meet here for lunch, right? Right, yes. Um, again, we just want to reiterate that these performers and vendors, this is usually like one of their full-time gigs. Um, so they are going to try and get you to participate. And if you don't want to, that's okay. Like I said, most of them are usually pretty good about figuring out who's game and who isn't. Um, but, you know, if if they can't seem to read your signs, walk away. Yeah. You don't owe them anything, uh, and they will not be offended if you just leave. That's okay. Yeah, it's really hard sometimes in those short uh, encounters to establish boundaries. Um, and, you know, you might be someone who's not comfortable being touched. You might be someone who's not comfortable being like making eye contact or being whatever spoken mm-hmm. to directly. And so at that point, if you don't feel comfortable setting the boundary, the best boundary you can set is to walk away. That's right. Um, also, uh, when you go into stalls or vendors or what have you, especially if you're wearing a costume, you have to be aware Mm-hmm. Of, like, your turning radius and how it increases when you're wearing, like, a scabbard or shoulder armor or whatever, right? Because sometimes the vendor, you know, tents or whatever can be very narrow. Mm-hmm. And, and you, full of breakables. And full of breakables. So you want to be aware of that. You want to be careful. Um, and, you know, we touched on it being family friendly. I Occasionally family occasionally, friendly. Occasionally, right? I, as a parent, would also encourage 
man, there's little kids running around. And if you're wearing like a helmet or a visor or anything, just be careful you don't punt a kid, you know, because <laughs> kids will just dart out in front of you. They don't care. Uh, just be aware of your surroundings. Uh, last but not least, I'd like to say, um, do remember that you have to drive home, right? Yes. Have a designated driver or, you know, make sure that you have burned through your uh, your intoxication before you leave, because these are like out in the um, the hills kind of events and you will have to drive home. Yes. Agreed. Be careful. Be safe out there. Have responsible fun. Your mom and dad want you to have <laughs> um, all right, we got a couple announcements. First of all, coming up, not too long now, I think one week, we'll be in New York Comic Con doing so much stuff. Um, you can get your tickets at bit.ly slash Tours. October 11th, we're going to be in Philadelphia doing My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and I believe Sawbones is opening for that one, too. Uh, October 12th, we're going to be at New York Comic Con doing Adventure Zone. It's Adventure Zone Hootenanny. Um, it's going to be a real fun one, ending with a song that we'll sing, and you could probably sing along if you know it. October 13th, New York Comic Con, uh, My Brother, My Brother, and Me with Sawbones opening, and also... A lot of New York Comic Con events that we're doing signings. I'll be there. Yeah, Teresa and Rachel are going to be there doing signings. We're doing all kinds of stuff. And New York Comic Con does not require you to have a badge to attend the shows. Uh, folks who have a badge and a ticket to either show will receive a free show poster as well as the option for priority seating at the show. And there will also be video on demand tickets to uh, watch the show online later. Uh, like I said, all the info, all the links at bit.ly slash Tours. Also, we got brand new merch up at macroymerch.com. October merch. We've got the glow in the dark. I found more questions in Kepler, West Virginia pen, which is an Adventure Zone reference. Uh, speaking of Adventure Zone, we've also got an Amnesty Lodge scented candle that has scents of peppercorn, ginger, spice, tobacco leaf, teakwood, sandalwood, amber, and dark musk. And our Candle Nights wrapping paper is back, designed by Justin Gray. Find all of that and 10% of all proceeds this month go to Reproductive Freedom for All, which fights for access to abortion care, birth control, paid parental leave, and protections for pregnancy discrimination. All of that at macroemerge.com. We also want to say thank you to our editor, Rachel, without whom we could not make this show. Thank you to our researcher, Alex, without whom we could not make this show. And thank you to you for listening. We make the show for you. Ooh, that's a nice one. Yeah. What else? What also, am I thank you to Brent Brentofloss Black for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today. As always, we continually take your topic submissions and your idioms and your questions. Please send those to SchmannersCast at gmail.com and say hi to Alex because she reads every single one. And that's going to do it for us. So join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it? Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.